I think it's 100% mental. You're either committed and you're determined and you've developed that strength and that capacity before you encounter those challenges to kind of be persistent and just get through the tough parts. Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what, my friends? Today's best ever sponsor, Fund That Flip, is working with well, one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes, Jay Scott. If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal best ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out, go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals go check it out fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever that's f-u-n-d-t-h-a-t-f-l-i-p.com forward slash best ever you're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success you're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete, actionable tips to make more money on your deals. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. And well, it's Sunday, my friends. And because it's Sunday, we're doing a special segment called Skill Set Sunday, where we talk to an overachiever about a particular skill that they have honed in order to get them to where they are right now. Clearly, as real estate entrepreneurs, we can learn all sorts of things from people in many different industries, as long as we know that that skill translates to what we're doing. And with us today, we have someone who can certainly talk about a skill that translates into what we're doing. In particular, the skill of endurance and just dogged determination. That's for sure. With us today, we got Ben Dodge. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing well, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And nice to have you on the show. So here's a little bit about Ben, and then we're going to talk about what we're discussing today. He is the founder and senior partner at Bike Accident Attorneys. It's a firm that only handles bicycle accident cases. In 2015, he founded Bike Accident Attorneys Network, which is a network focused on representing cyclists. He's based in Mesa, Arizona. And you can say hi to him and check out his website at bikeaccidentattorneys.com or click the link in the show notes page. Here's the deal with Ben. We're not going to be focused on bike litigation because that's not quite on topic for us. But what is, is he is a finisher of a race called Race Across the West. And it's 
not 500 miles, not 600, not seven, eight. It's 930 mile nonstop race where he's just biking straight, no sleep, nothing, nonstop, 930 miles. He was one of nine people to finish the race this past year. So clearly there's a level of not only endurance because it's, is not just a physical thing, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this, but it's also a psychological thing as well. So we're going to learn more about that. But before we do, Ben, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background, and then we'll get into the race across the West? Yeah, you bet. It was probably about five years ago. I was a little over 300 pounds. No kidding. And a friend of mine invited me to do a triathlon. I didn't know what a triathlon was. <laughs> and so I said, well, sure, you know, what, what is it? Let's, let's go, sounds fun. And he said, you have to swim, you know, and then you bike and then you run a little bit. And uh, short story is, as I went, I suffered through this thing, and, but I loved it. It was life-changing. And I went on over the next couple of years to, to compete in different triathlons. I've competed in eight Ironman, but I've only finished six because two of them I ended up in an, in an ambulance after passing out. Mm. Uh, they just pushed a little too hard. But I did a lot of triathlons back in the day and some endurance like ultra running, like 50-mile marathons, 100-mile marathons, that kind of stuff. And then I realized that that helped me in my professional life, frankly. And I was able to test and learn some limits and some of my capacities. And I was fueled by that quite a bit. I went on to do a little thing called Kokoro. I don't know if you've heard about that. It's a Navy SEAL Hell Week that you can do as a civilian. Oh, Uh, yeah, of course you'd volunteer for that. Yeah, it was life-changing for me as well. That was quite a few years, about two years ago maybe, two, three years ago now. Very few people can graduate from that, but I was able to graduate from that. And then I went on and and just kind of a checkered history, I guess, Joe, of different kind of challenging endurance events. I'm by by all means an average, ordinary person when it comes to athleticism and skill. I have no special skill set as an athlete. In fact, for most of everything, it comes very difficult and not very naturally, and so... Um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, determination, endurance, and some of the things we'll talk about today, I feel pretty strongly about that because I'm a huge believer that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. And it's just a skill set. It's a few tools they need in their toolbox and, and kind of a lifelong commitment to develop those. And, and anyone can do a lot more probably in their lives professionally or socially or whatever, you know, than they're currently doing. Mm. You were th- not 500 pounds. <laughs> like, wait, three, I, yeah. three, wait, easy there, Gregor. Yeah. That would be ridiculous. Little, yeah. And I don't know how much I actually weighed. To be honest with you, I was too embarrassed to check. So at a certain point, I stopped checking. Yeah, yeah. Before I started losing the weight. How much do you weigh um, now? Now I hover right around 190, 195. Okay. Uh, and how tall are you? Uh, 5'11". That's my BMI and my social security number next. <laughs> no, just your bank account number, please. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, you're, so I'm, you're, I'm kind of stocky. Yeah, I'm kind of stocky, but I got I'm very strong, very strong, a lot of, of muscle. Tell us a little bit about the race across the West to give us context and how sure. difficult it is, sure. and then let's get sure. into how you were able to finish it. Yeah, so race across the West is the little brother to a race called Race Across America. Race Across America starts in Oceanside, California as does the race across the West. They both start at the same time, same day, in Oceanside, California, at the pier right there. And then you 
bike and race across the West, you bike all the way to Colorado, Durango, Colorado, and then you stop. In Race Across America, you bike all the way to Maryland, so coast to coast. It's a 3,000 mile race, that one. In Race Across the West, though, it's undisputed. It's the first 1,000 miles, basically, of Race Across America. And it's the hardest part of Race Across America. And in order to do Race Across America, you have to qualify by doing Race Across the West as a solo cyclist. Now, most people do it as a like a four-man team or even an eight-man team. They'll do Race Across the West. So it's 930 miles, give or take. For me, there's an extra five-mile detour that I did uphill, sadly, uh, <laughs> out of the way when I, when I missed a turn. I got a little extra credit there. Here's the deal. like When you do these kind of ultra-cycling races, it's truly, really, for most people to do it, just about finishing because so much can happen to you that you don't anticipate that can just wreck your whole race or your whole day that if you finish you count it as a win if you win the race that's even better so you just don't know what's going to happen out there so for us for example we rode the 60 or so of us that started this race and nine of us finished it was in the middle of june and so it was hot you know we're out in the california desert and arizona desert before we get to colorado you know just dying and so managing the heat managing the, the problems with it in any event, so we go about 930 miles, and there's not enough time to stop and sleep. So you have to just take copious amounts of caffeine or mm. have your, your your crew. who. So you have a crew that you bring with you, friends, family, whatever. And they're the ones that are, like, giving you water and food along the way. Maybe a toothbrush. You know, you're, bite, you're biking along rather than you're brushing your teeth. You know, whatever it takes. Your crew, they might slap you in the face if you want or give you caffeine. Whatever it is, to stay awake. And then you just kind of go. Now, a normal, like, bike ride, so I, I'm a competitive cyclist. I, I, I race. I love to do that. It, it kind of is just a fun way to get some aggression out, right? A normal bike ride for me is, like, two to four hours. And, like, it could be 40 to 60 miles. It could be 100 miles, something like that. And that's pretty average, and that's about as long as most people go, about 100 miles. Um, if they do 100 miles, they, they call it a century ride. They're like, yes, I did my one century ride this year, you know. And you might climb in terms of elevation on something like that, like three, 4,000 feet, you know, in total elevation. On this race, we did about 50,000 feet, and we did 930 miles. So it's by far, like, one of the more difficult things you can possibly do on, on your bicycle. And I was just drawn to like a moth flame. I had to do it, you know. And I found out about this race. I was like, hey, this sounds fun. Let's go suffer a little. Hmm. Do you know the other eight people who finished? No, I got to know some of them. But before the race started, I certainly didn't know any of them. Most of the people that do this actually are European. And they fly over. What's uh, the difference between the people who finish and don't finish, in your opinion? I think it's 100% mental. You're either committed and you're determined and you've developed that strength and that capacity before you encounter those challenges to kind of be persistent and just get through the tough parts. You've done that before the race started or you didn't. Because all of the people that show up are trained and ready fitness-wise. You know, the, the guys and girls that tell the line, they've put in the miles, they've put in the work, they've put in the training. The, the real question, I think the, the hands down, the biggest distinction is, is whether or not they put in the time mentally, whether they've developed that mental toughness, that determination. And most obviously don't, you know, small percentage of people do. How did you develop it? For me, it started back when I did that Navy SEAL training for a week. They're genius in the psychology around those Navy SEALs, and, and they just kind of beat the crap out of you and then <laughs> and teach you all kinds of wonderful things about yourself. But, you know, they have some interesting sayings that, that help get you through things. Like one of my favorite things that they always say to you is the only easy day was yesterday. And if you really think about that, the only easy day was yesterday means really that 
It doesn't matter how hard today was. You just have to get through it. And it doesn't really matter what happened yesterday. That's gone. And tomorrow doesn't exist yet. So focus on the now. What are you doing right now to succeed in the moment? Are you being the best fill in the blank, whatever your task is right now that you're supposed to do? So focusing in the moment and realizing that the only easy day that you'll ever have in your life is the day that was yesterday because it's gone. Again, not because that was an easy day, but just because it's already over. It just kind of realizes that you have to embrace that suck. So long ago when I started doing the, you know, that training with those guys, I started developing that mental toughness. And I owe quite a bit to them. But really in your training, Joe, like uh, as a professional, as an athlete, as, as whatever, it's a daily thing. Mental toughness is something that you can acquire and something that you can lose. It's something that you can strengthen and it's something that you can weaken based on your daily input, just like any other exercise or discipline, any other skill set that you need to develop. It's something that requires absolute focus and work on a daily basis. How do you do that on a daily basis? For me, I find it necessary to require challenges, discomfort putting myself outside of my comfort zone, outside of my little box, you know, that I normally exist. And it's easier to do that physically. So, you know, most mornings I'm, I'm up at 3.30 or 4 in the morning and I'm out hitting a pretty hard workout so that I can get it done, you know, get it done and start working and developing. And I don't want to lose what I've already gained on the mental side of things. Also on the physical fitness side, I don't want to lose it either. But Every day, I'll start the day with a pretty hard workout and, and on purpose, you know, you get to the point where you want to quit and you go a little further and you know that you actually finally accomplished something. Just kind of casually working out isn't going to develop that mental toughness. It's going beyond what you think you're capable of doing and then doing a little bit more. That's going to put deposits in that bank that you can draw out later. What is it that drives you to do that workout and do just a little bit more? Is it the weight? Is it not going back to 300 pounds or is it something else? I haven't thought about the weight in so long. You know, it might be a little personal, but uh, I, I have a son with special needs and life's going to be really hard for him. And I look at the challenges that he already has. He's, he's only six years old. And I look at the life that he's going to have potentially as an adult. And he doesn't get to quit. He can't just stop having the special needs, right? He can't just stop having those challenges. And so there's a huge fuel to my fire to make sure that I constantly set a good example for him. I mean, I can talk to him all I want to, but actions are speak way louder than, than words. And so I hope to show him that anyone can do difficult things and accomplish extraordinary things just with hard work. And frankly, when it gets hard for me and I feel like quitting something, I just think about him and he doesn't get that option. Mm -hmm. He doesn't get to just quit being who he is, you know, and so... That's a great fuel to my fire. On a more kind of just personal or professional note, like I want to see what I can do. And I find great satisfaction. I'm not content with just a normal average day. That doesn't sound very exciting to me. My days have to be above average. And that doesn't mean I have to go out and do something crazy like Race Across the West every day. But I have to be working towards something. I have to keep constantly pushing my limits so that I can find that satisfaction of inner progression. It's a path that when you start down it, there is no end. There really can never be, right? So if you want to be the best person you possibly can be and really develop that mental toughness and accomplish just extraordinary things your whole life, like you don't really get to stop. You start and then you see where that path goes. You're on it every day. That kind of fuels me too. You know, There's no time to stop or quit. You just keep going. 
Yeah, it's very inspiring and it's illuminating just hearing you talk about how you approach it and the mental capacity you said that you have to build before you come across the situation. I've listened to one of Tim Ferriss's podcasts recently and he was talking about that and so was his guest where they were talking about from a and this takes the conversation in a different direction but it's the same approach and that is the guy he was interviewing was married and he's like sure I'm still going to be attracted to females but I've got to put myself mentally in the situation of okay this hot woman is hitting on me how will I approach it in the future if and when that does happen because he is married and it's the same way where you're basically planning your approach of, okay, how am I going to react if and when this happens? That way you're not having to go off impulse, but rather you've been there, done that, and you know what you're going to do when you come across a situation, in your case, cycling or working out or business. And my case, in the best ever listener's case, real estate investing and certain situations and maybe partnerships and all that. How are we going to approach a situation that we envision? And the answer is we're going to approach it much better if we do envision it prior to it. Because as you said, the difference between people who finish and don't finish this race is 100% mental. I couldn't agree with you more. Frankly, let's apply it now. So that was, that was the background, right? To race across the West. Now, I was not a special athlete in this race other than the fact that I finished. And I recognize that was a great accomplishment. But between me and you, and I guess now the world, whoever's listening, I was last place. I was the ninth guy to finish. You know, My friends remind me, well, you're not last because 50, 40, 50 other people didn't even make it. So, so I get that. But the reason that this was uh, such a, a life-impacting kind of few days or moments for me and my family and my loved ones is because I encountered some incredible challenges medically. Most people, they quit and they don't even encounter those. And so having worked through those on the course and still finishing, we'll go into those in just a second. That's why this mental preparation beforehand was good. You know, the Navy SEALs, obviously a tremendous amount of respect for them. One of their mantras is win in your mind first. If you go out onto the battlefield and seek to win, but you haven't done the mental preparation beforehand, then you're just kind of waiting for failure. And uh, it's kind of goes in hand with like, you, you just can't wish for things to happen in your life that you want to have, have, have happen. You have to work on making them a part of your life right now. And so the mental preparation for success, I think as a professional, as an athlete, as whatever, your real success does in fact start with your mental preparation and anticipating. So for me, I spent some time in my own head for months leading up to this you know, meditation, whatever, just those silent moments, whether it's driving down the road, whether it's riding my bike in silence, I hardly ever listen to music. It's distracting. And so I'll, I'll get in my own head and I try to anticipate the negative thoughts that would come. I try to anticipate that desire of going to want, you know, going to need to sleep or I, I can't pedal anymore. My legs hurt or gosh, you know, I, I just, I'm tired of this. Let's just quit. Whatever those potential thoughts were going to be, I tried to anticipate those. And then I dealt with them months before the race. So if and when they even occurred, it was very easy. It's kind of like that old saying that we all heard when we were kids from our parents, like say no to drugs now, right? So that way when somebody actually offers you, you're like, no, you know, I made that decision. The principle behind that is pretty powerful actually. And in, in my experience, very true. So I tried to anticipate this pretty early on. So here's what happened. Day one, we're going up and over the San Diego mountains and it was pretty hot. And I've suffered heat stroke before a couple of times where I stroked out and had to be taken to the hospital. 
because I didn't manage my hydration well enough and I pass out. This is a couple Ironmans. This happened twice in two Ironmans. I pass out. Volunteers would come and kind of like put water on me and say, hey, hey, we've called the ambulance. Don't worry. No kidding. I get up and I say, dude, I can't go in the ambulance. That means my race is over. So I kept pedaling. And of course, that's a very idiot decision to do. Then I end up passing out again. The next time I woke up, I was already in the ambulance. You know, that (laughs) that happened two times to me. And so I knew I had that problem already going into a hot race like this. So the first day I tried to manage the heat, but it was hotter than I expected. And I had my crew putting bags of ice in my jersey and spraying me with water from like one of those weed sprayers that you can buy at Home Depot. I had them filled with (laughs) ice water and we're going for it. And I started that a little too late. So that first night, later that night, this is like 150, 200 miles into the race. I'm puking all night long with with heat exhaustion. So I can't keep any food in and I have basically zero energy to to really continue. And you kind of hit that first roadblock pretty early on. You're like, holy smokes, I'm in the desert. It's like Blythe, California somewhere at this point, just nowhere, pretty ugly. Uh, What do you do? You pound some food and you keep pedaling. This was my decision that I made, again, months ago. And luckily, I kind of recovered. You know, a few hours later, you just kind of recover. Later that day, though, we were pedaling around some giant fire. In fact, they almost rerouted our course that we were on because this forest fire was burning up acres and acres. And so the particulates in the air really messed with our lungs. When I started climbing up into the elevation to the mountains of northern Arizona, I developed some pulmonary edema that was pretty wicked. It completely shut down most of my breathing. I felt claustrophobic like I was trying to breathe through a coffee straw. Oh, man. And I was hacking up blood and hacking up this giant mucus. And it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm starting to get a little fever. This isn't good. And so I took a break for like 20 minutes and just rested. And eventually I got back on the bike. There's two kinds of pain, right? There's the temporary pain of self-discipline and the permanent pain of regret. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, like let's just go through the next couple of days. I can deal with the pain. The breathing, frankly, never got better. So the next two and a half, three days, like the breathing never got better. The lungs never really healed until I was finished from the race almost a week and a half later. In any event, it got worse. So the second night, there's a problem that's ultra cyclists. If you do a bike race four or 500 miles or longer, you can develop something called Schirmer's neck. And it's a medical condition that really only exists in the ultra cycling world where you do these long races. And that's where the neck muscles on your neck just give out and your head flops down and you can't hold your head up anymore. Oh, And it's super painful. There's a few kind of versions of Schirmer's neck that's not painful and you drop your head down. Mine was really painful, really painful. In fact, it's been like four or five weeks since the race, and I still have to wear a brace to hold my head up. I got the Schirmer's neck problem, and my head just flopped down. My wife, I asked her, I said, I can't not finish this thing. We're a little over halfway. We're past Flagstaff. Like, let's just keep going. And so we took a blanket out of the truck and rolled it up into like a sleeping bag kind of roll almost. And with gauze, we propped it up under my neck and tied it around my helmet and kind of propped my head up for the rest of the race. I mean, there's a few other things that kind of happen, you know, but eventually... I finished. Um, I finished in spite of all of that. And I think that's what made the big difference in my life. And, and of course, those close friends and family that were watching and following it, because it was against kind of all odds. And yeah, I was the last guy to finish, but I finished and a whole bunch of others didn't, right? So it was that mental toughness, I think, that I developed beforehand that, that got me through it. Otherwise, I would have just succumbed to those self-doubt 
negativity kind of thoughts that pop in your head about quitting. But since I decided long ago that I wasn't going to do that, it didn't make it any easier because it was tremendously difficult, but it took the option of quitting just off the table. I, I never really entertained that thought. It just didn't ever seem like an option. What a story. I mean, especially picturing you speaking to us right now with your neck brace as a result of the race. And I don't think we mentioned this. Actually, I think we did. But you have 92 hours to finish and you finish in 86. So it wasn't like you finished five days later. You finished within the allocated time that people have to finish and you finished before too. So I just wanted to reiterate that we didn't already. Well, Ben, thank you for being on show and sharing your story. I mean, I talked a little bit about my takeaway on the approach where you have to develop the mental capacity, as you said, before you come across the situation, because this is 100% mental and the Navy SEALs mantra, win in your mind first, because when you do that, then it's just not an option that you have on the table. It's just something that you're going to get done. And I think in business, it's important to have that as long as your business plan is correct. Because sometimes we focus on just, I'm not going to quit. Quitting's not an option, but you're, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're, but you you're doing, yeah, you're going, you'll do yourself a disservice if you don't quit and then focus on another direction. But in some cases where you just got to put your head down and I guess uh, have your head propped up by other measures uh, when your head can no longer prop itself up in your case, you just got to get it done and tackle whatever is in front of you. And I think there's obviously lessons for us as real estate entrepreneurs. Where can the best ever listeners learn more about you and contact you? Facebook, I guess. I'm on Facebook. My cool. website, you can you can get my contact information there. Happy okay. to chat with anybody. You bet. Sounds good. Well, it's bikeaccidentattorneys.com or you can say hi to him on Facebook and his name is Ben Dodge. So Ben, thank you so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.